1: This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damian Sassauer. Coming up on the show, we're going to be talking with legendary media executive Dick Ebersole, He is the former head of NBC Sports, co-creator of Saturday Night Live and creator of Sunday Night Football. We're going to talk about his incredible career and his new book, From Saturday Night to Sunday Night. Straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. But first, let's look at some of the top stories of the week, starting with the U.S. Open wrapping up.
2: And there was so much excitement around this U.S. Open because it was Serena Williams's last U.S. Open, given that she's retiring. And we have two new champions. Unfortunately, neither of them are Serena. Number one-seeded Iga Swiatek took home the women's championship, and number three Carlos Alcaraz won the men's final.
1: Bloomberg's Kathleen Hayes caught up with former tennis pro and broadcaster Patrick McEnroe to talk about some of their favorite moments of this year's Open.
0: Going into this, the story was, oh, Serena's retiring, a new era. The One era is ending, another one's starting. You know, what's going to happen with Novak, Rafa, Federer? You know, they're closer to the twilights of their career. Looks like maybe the new era has started. What does it look like to you?
3: It looks unbelievably exciting, athletic, inspiring, charismatic, uh, would be a few words that would come to mind. You know, Serena's done so much for tennis, obviously, and for a lot of other things as well. So it was fitting the way she went out. She went out swinging as as she's done throughout her career. But to see the young players step up, you know, obviously on the men's side, Carlos Alcaraz and Yannick Sinner played one of the greatest matches I've ever seen. that ended yeah. at about 3 in the morning. Um, just the shot-making, the athleticism from those players uh, was off the charts. And then you've got, obviously, Francis Tiafoe, the, the first black American player to get this far at the U.S. Open since since Arthur Ashe, and just the first American period since Andy Roddick. So the Francis Tiafoe story is an incredible one. It's like an American fairy tale really that was
2: Bloomberg's Kathleen Hayes with former tennis pro and broadcaster Patrick McEnroe yeah you heard right he's one of the McEnroes and of course you can take a look back at all our coverage of this year's U.S. Open including a great conversation we had with one of the people who's responsible for getting Arthur Ashe Stadium built that is of course on the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast online at Bloomberg.com and or wherever you get your podcasts
1: and now We switch gears to football. (laughs) This week is the first week that the NFL's Thursday night football game will be exclusively on Amazon Prime, kicking off an 11-year, $13 billion deal.
2: This marks the very first time a streaming service has gotten exclusive season-long rights to air NFL games in the U.S., It could spell trouble, certainly challenges, for the traditional networks like CBS, ESPN, NBC, and Fox.
1: Let's bring in our media expert, Bloomberg's Jerry Smith, to talk about the NFL's big bet on Amazon Prime. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about this huge $13 billion bet on the NFL with Amazon. Can you tell us all about it?
4: This is a really big deal. Um, You know, the NFL is the most popular sport on television by far, and it's really been dominated by the traditional TV networks for many, many years, the NBCs and CBS and Foxes of the world. Amazon has the exclusive rights to Thursday night football now. And, um, you know, this is a big deal for Amazon in a lot of ways. You have to be an Amazon Prime subscriber in order to watch. So they're hoping that they're going to see more Amazon Prime members as a result of this. Uh, it's also an opportunity for Amazon's advertising business, which is already Um, massive uh, to you know capture some of those advertisers who spend a lot of money on um, NFL uh, commercials Mm -hmm. but it's also a big deal for the overall sports media industry Um, you know this Amazon is now if they can pull this off this season and not have any issues with um, you know people finding the games or any sort of technical glitches it could really um, you know, turbocharge Amazon's ambitions in sports and, and maybe some other sports leagues could look at Amazon and, and be more comfortable now that uh, with selling their rights to Amazon as well.
1: And we talked with the people at Amazon. Bloomberg got together with Marie Donahue from Amazon, and she is really impressed with this.
0: I mean, I, I look, honestly, I think this will be as big as when the NFL went to cable back in 1987. You know, we know how NFL games legitimized and grew the cable, cable business, and we think the same thing can happen for streaming.
1: Scarlett, I, I always believe that this is something that is going to Again, I have old man Bar has got to change the way he watches television.
2: You know, you say you're old man Bar, but I remember when there was no Thursday Night Football before 2006. And Jerry, you mentioned that Amazon is coming in, CBS, NBC, and Fox have long split up NFL coverage on their own. They've already tried airing Thursday Night Games in the past, and they didn't find it a great thing. Deal for them. Why is that? Why is Thursday night football difficult for these broadcasters to make money off of?
4: That's a good point. I think there's a couple reasons. I mean, one is that the Thursday night package um, in the past, uh, the feeling was that the games were not as high quality as the games on Sundays and, and Monday night football. Uh, so that could be one issue. Um, You know, yeah, CBS, NBC, Fox, they've all had the rights to Thursday Night Football and have had a lot of trouble making money um, on it. Um, You know, Amazon has a a very different business. Um, They uh, may be willing to lose money on on NFL if it helps sell more Prime subscriptions and gets more people buying diapers and socks on Amazon Prime. You know, they... um, Just their business, uh, goals are, are different and, and they just have a a lot more money quite frankly than, uh, the traditional TV networks.
5: Jerry, let's talk about the end deliverable, right? I mean, there's been talk that Amazon's going to be um, overlaying stats and game updates with some X-ray technology. They've got an alternate stream for younger audiences called Dude Perfect. And most recently, they signed a multi-year contract with uh, DraftKings. And it looks like they're going to be offering sport betting lines throughout the course of the Thursday night game. What do we know about that?
4: Yeah, the DraftKings announcement this week was interesting. I, I think it's going to be um, you know, before the game and after the game, and it's, uh, it's, it's what we're seeing a lot, and, I, and a lot of people in the sports media business are very excited about sports betting, and the thinking is that people are going to be more engaged with watching a sporting event if they're also placing bets on it. And, and so we're starting to more and more see this um, you know, convergence of uh, media and sports betting and um, you know, I think the hope with uh, for Amazon is that people are, are going to be, you know, the fan wants to be able to bet on the game in a, in a seamless way while watching it, and I think that that's a lot of what this um, deal with uh, with DraftKings
5: is about.
2: And of course, we got to mention Damian Sass, our host of the new show, what is it called?
5: Bloomberg The Lineup. airs every Friday afternoon at 7 p.m., uh, rolls through to Sunday morning, and we are actually tackling sports gambling and sports betting on the show. It's one yeah. of the things that differentiates
1: us. So uh, so Jerry watches religiously. So, uh,
2: Michael Barr does, too. Oh, yeah,
1: Michael, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I got my pin out, man. I got my odds ready. Uh, one of the things that we talked about uh, with Amazon Global Sports Video Vice President Marie Donahue, she talked with Emily Chang, and they talked about what challenge this deal poses for the major networks can you take us through that on on what now the the networks have to deal with when you have this streaming
4: well yeah so Amazon and um, the, the big networks uh, NBC Fox ESPN CBS they all recently um, signed an 11-year deal with the NFL so the TV networks still have uh, a big, chunk of the most popular sport in america for through the next decade um but there's a couple things that, that could happen as a result of amazon getting in the game um you know one thing is that it there's some concern that it could um, lead to more cord cutting uh, if you get a casual fan who um, says, you know, I, I don't necessarily need to um, have my cable subscription anymore. I'll, I'll just watch Amazon Prime NFL games on Thursdays. And, and, you know, the other companies are also streaming NFL games um, as well. And, and so the one of the big, really, the, the entire TV industry is is in large part based on sports and people who subscribe to cable to get sports. And if more of those major sports like the NFL... Are available outside of a cable package on a streaming service. You know that that could have a real um, that could be a real threat to the overall business.
2: So Jerry, I know you've written about um, NFL live rights as well as college football live rights, and of course uh, we know that the Big Ten uh, recently sold a very lucrative deal to Fox, four hundred million dollars a year for football and men's basketball. Do you see Amazon and these streaming services getting into college sports as well?
4: I think they would like to. Uh, the Big Ten is a good example where Amazon, uh, was interested. They, um, they reportedly were willing to spend more, uh, for Big Ten rights than NBC and CBS, but the, um, those packages ended up going to the traditional TV networks anyway. Uh, you know, I think Amazon, as a newcomer, the expectation is that they're going to have to spend a lot more than the TV networks if they want to get these rights. I think the sports leagues, there's still some hesitancy about Going all in and selling your um, your games to a streaming service because the they you know they want reach they want their the leagues want their sports to remain uh, popular in America and they want them to be broadcast on the biggest uh, stage and that is still broadcast television in a lot of ways. Um, but Amazon says that they have about 80 million people who uh, are watching Prime Video, so that's roughly the same amount of people who are getting cable TV today. So Amazon is, um, you know, on par with uh, the TV networks in some ways.
5: Yeah, Jerry, but I, I do have to say, you know, Amazon's just guaranteeing advertisers that it's going to reach no more than 12 million viewers game per game last year. I believe it was 16.4 million um, on average. I mean. Let's just talk for one second about some of the losses Amazon recently kind of witnessed. Right, it lost the bidding war for Champions League. It lost the Big Ten. It lost Formula One to ESPN, and now we've got NFL Sunday Ticket going up, and potentially the NBA as well. I wonder how active do you think Amazon's going to be there after uh, now getting involved in Thursday Night Football?
4: I think that there's, you know, there Amazon and, and Apple are, are reportedly duking it out for Sunday uh, NFL Sunday Ticket right now. Um, the NBA, um, which is currently with ESPN and Turner, uh, that deal is really the next big uh, sports rights deal on the horizon, uh, maybe a few years away. But it'll be really interesting to see uh, how aggressive Amazon gets in um, in bidding on that. Um, you know, there's a couple more college deals as well. The Pac-12 and the Big 12 are um, about to negotiate their sports rights. So Amazon could, um, you know, they could get involved in that. There's an expanded college uh, football playoff, which uh, opens the door to, uh, you know, more than just ESPN potentially broadcasting the, um, the college football playoff. So Amazon, I mean, a lot of the big sports are locked up for a long period of time, um, you know, but there's a few opportunities on the horizon for them to um, you know expand their uh, their sports uh, portfolio.
1: Bloomberg's Jerry Smith laying his knowledge on us about what's going to happen with the Amazon deal with the NFL and also with DraftKings. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Thanks for having me. Speaking of sports media rights, let's bring in someone who might know it a bit better than anyone else. We're going to chat with the legendary, that's all in caps, legendary media executive Dick Ebersol. Straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports, I'm Michael Barr. You can follow me on Twitter at Sports.
2: I feel like he invented media sports rights. (laughs) You can get me on Twitter at ScarlettFoo.
1: And don't forget to catch our podcast. That's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays on all your podcast platforms. And right here on Bloomberg Business of Sports and Bloomberg Radio.
6: Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you.
1: You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Welcome back to the Bloomberg Business of Sports show where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr.
5: I'm Scarlett Foo. And I'm Damian Sassauer.
1: And we are very excited about our next guest. We're going to be talking about his new book from Saturday night to Sunday night, My 40 Years of Laughter, Tears, and Touchdowns in TV. We're going to learn about his incredible career and get his take on what's happening in the sports media world now. We're talking about sports media legend, broadcasting, and cable Hall of Famer Dick Ebersole. Ebersol was the chairman of NBC Sports, where he oversaw huge TV sporting events such as the Olympic Games and NFL football, you know, those little things, as well as Saturday Night Live. Dick Ebersol, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Thanks so much. I, I have to read a quote, because this is, <laughs> you help so many people get into television but i got to read the quote from Charles Barkley because he <laughs> breaks me up. Dick Ebersol was the first person to tell me to go into television, so blame him. <laughs> he, he said the NBA wouldn't be where it is today if not for Dick. And that goes for the Olympics, the NFL, and pretty much every other corner of the sports world as well. You've touched pretty much a lot of sports. Do you realize the impact of what you've done with television in general? I guess at
3: times I do, but most of all, I'm overjoyed that so many people who, as much younger people, started off with me, and they're carrying the weight today.
2: Um, Dick, I want to get your take on what you see when you look at the sports landscape, how it's on different days of the week. Uh, It's on Thursday night. It's on Sunday. It's on Monday. It just keeps spreading, and the different options just keep multiplying. Is it confusing? Has it gotten too confusing?
3: I don't think so, because I think that, uh, sports in particular offers something that none of the rest of the television does. It's, it's live action. It's a story unfolding right in front of you. And it's, uh, it's to its great credit, this become so successful that you can, as you just pointed out, you can find it at least five nights of the week. And, uh, There's nothing like that on television other than football.
5: Uh, Look, everybody, you know, they write, you know, an autobiography, they write a book. I mean, obviously, you've just now done this. You know, you've got Michael Jordan, legend, right? You've got the Los Angeles Lakers. You've got winning time. You've got Derek Jeter, the captain, the Williams sisters, King Richard. I mean, you know, you've been telling stories your whole life. You know, what stories in the world of sports do you believe have yet to be told,
3: that's a very good question, not one that I've ever been asked before, so let me put on a sinking cap for a minute. <laughs> You're asking what stories haven't been told? That's
5: right. I mean, there's so many athletes who we don't know about, so many wonderful stories out there that I'm sure you know or you've lived through. I'm just curious, you know, what, if you had to hear one of them, I mean, what would it be?
1: Well, there's that me story about when I shot 299 in my bowling <laughs> league, but nobody covered that. <laughs>
3: 40 years ago 40 plus years ago I worked on the pro bowlers tour when I was at ABC as a young kid wow and i loved it because the bowlers were among the most accessible and easiest people to deal with that I ever found in my entire career
1: I never missed Saturday afternoons with the pro bowlers tour with Chris Schenkel and well before Bo Burton there was Billy Waylu I, I never miss, I'm yep. sorry I got everybody sidetracked you know, and Damien you know, you know, had a great no, question right,
5: notice how Dick is pivoting away from this question because he <laughs> has an idea that he doesn't want to share with our audience
3: I'm so satisfied today with all the sports that we have access to on television, that wasn't true of my childhood. I'm now I'm 75, and when <laughs> I was there, were just a few things that were there all the time, uh, and they were pretty much bunched up on weekends. Now you find it all the time, and plus there's uh, ESPN, which I think right now is in the middle of a renaissance under Jimmy Pataro. uh It's uh, it's, it was sort of lost out there in the woods for a while, but boy, it's gotten much better under Pataro.
2: Can you qualify that? How has it gotten much better under Jimmy Pataro? I just think
3: that the announcers are more aware of what their responsibility is. It's not as much uh, fooling around and a lot more dispensing information and uh, e matchups And they do a, a bang-up job of it. The networks do, too, some of them, but it's pretty much still uh, limited to the weekend's.
2: Yeah, the reason I ask that is because everyone can get highlights online now on demand. So the sports broadcast, the traditional sports broadcast, has to be a little bit different than what it used to be 10, 15, 20 years ago.
3: You know, I found this probably is now 20 years ago. I found that uh, once Sports Center did pop on the scene, you were able to wake up every morning and get a nice little uh, uh, meal so to speak, of what had happened the night before without having lost uh, half the night to sleeplessness.
5: You know, I hear you talking about, um, you know, the responsibilities of sport casters and anchors, you know, in in terms of delivering data and, and delivering information and informing audiences. And, you know, what are your thoughts on this renaissance in terms of the availability of sports data and how that extends to sports gambling and all that's going on in the world right now with NIL? I mean, there's a lot of information out there at the fingertips of many of these anchors. I mean, you know, talk to us about, you know, the data side of sports and, and, and you know, commercially taking advantage of that. Is that something that you see a future in for some of the big networks and, quite frankly, for business in general?
3: Well, if it continues to grow the way it, it is growing, the networks will jump in much more so than they have up
1: to this point. It has streaming services, has that helped or hurt the sport?
3: I think if it's well done and tells stories, well, with me, everything comes back to how well do you tell stories or or how well do you report stories? And I think all of that is better done today than it was 10, 20 years ago. And so if you're a true sports fan, there's always something there for you to digest.
2: So there's a lot of stories that still need to be told. There's a lot of incredible stories that are being told. There's a lot of different platforms. Do you think media companies can continue to pay higher prices for live sports rights while we see cable subscribers continue to decline, people cutting the cord. Where do you see this heading?
3: As long as the consumer still has this appetite, which I find amazing, that's not going to change. And these companies know it, and they're always uh, amping up uh, the resources that they can bring to coverage of all these different events. And I don't think the right situation, particularly among the major sports, which to me are football and uh, basketball, um, that's not going to change. The appeal is too strong. Baseball's appeal is not what it used to be. Um, and to some degree, I blame the leadership of the game. I love Seelig, and I thought he was right on top of things. The current commissioner, I don't think, loves baseball.
5: So, you know, let's tear up the script here. I mean, now that we're just railing on baseball, we may as well rail on the Olympics as well. (laughs) I mean, you know, you are the person who brought Muhammad Ali lighting the Olympic flame to television. I mean, you are the godfather of Olympics, and yet ratings for the Olympics have really come down in recent years. You know, I'm curious, you know, what's going on there? What's going wrong? I mean, the Olympics are just, uh, you know, it's just such an amazing event, a way of connecting different countries across the globe. You know, what what can be done to improve the product, to make it more digestible from a viewer standpoint?
3: Well, you won't like my answer. (laughs) No. One of the keys to my success with the Olympics is that I really talk to viewers all the time, whether it was by encouraging them to write me or making frequent appearances where there could be an interchange. And the one thing they always said about the Olympics, they wanted to watch them when they were available to watch. And I think now... uh, due to the pressure of some in the media, like the New York Times, they're too wrapped up in getting them on live when there aren't aren't that many people available to watch. And I always stacked them up so that when you got home at the end of the day, all that stuff was lined up for you to watch from, say, 5.30 in the afternoon till 11 o'clock at night, and that's not always the case anymore.
1: I have to talk about your... Reason why, and a newspaper wrote this, and it is very true, uh, one newspaper referred to you as the man who keeps America awake. That's you, because that, and I want to thank you for that, because Sunday nights, now I'm up late, and Saturday nights, I'm, I'm up late. You found it Saturday Night Live. Uh, I found it
3: Saturday Night Live with a really, really talented partner Yeah. With- Either the comedy, and that's Lauren Michaels. Yeah,
1: exactly. And and it, I, story about that is that my mother and father, and I, and I saw the premiere episode with George Carlin, and my mother and father didn't have a clue what I was watching because you know <laughs> they they didn't know who George Carlin was, they didn't know what this show was going to be. I did because I was I saw the tomorrow episode with Tom Snyder on what was coming up ahead for for this show. I, I, I am amazed that today we are close now to almost fifty years of Saturday Night Live. Did you ever envision that it would go on this long?
3: I don't think either Lauren or I had <laughs> any sense that this would last on and on and on, because it was aimed at a younger audience, and would they grow up with us? And they did. And uh, it's proven uh, to be a show that has, in my mind, a lifespan that will probably carry it well beyond my lifespan or Lauren's.
2: I think about how young people watch Saturday Night Live, and they don't necessarily watch it live. They watch the clips uh, from YouTube the next day or at their convenience. What do you think live programming, whether it's entertainment variety shows like Saturday Night Live or a live broadcast of a baseball game or a football game or a basketball game, what do you think the live broadcast does that the on-demand clip later on can't?
3: Well, for starters... I think the true sports fan wants the story and and oftentimes more often than not, they want the whole story. So I'm not amazed that people stay up as late as they do to watch so much of this stuff. Uh, There's no question. The Saturday night live clips uh, are very, very uh, well watched. Uh, And it's, there's a business in that today, but the avid fan, the avid Saturday Night Live fan, is pretty much there Saturday nights at 11.30 to watch the show. And that's largely because they're young and they can stay up late. Their parents are long since asleep.
5: You know, <laughs> you know Mr. Evelson, I mean, I have to just ask this. You know, I mean, you had so many wonderful people, famous people, you know, Billy Crystal, you know, uh, as forwards in your in your new book, you know, complimenting you, owing their careers to you. You know, when you look back, how you started back in the early '70s. I mean, Lauren Michaels, you mentioned him. Barry Diller. I mean, who was your mentor? Who, who do you look back on and you know really impacted your career the most in your trajectory?
3: Oh wow, that's a that's a very long list. But I'd I'd say that a few of the people who are no longer with with us, who were at networks, encouraged me to take risks. Um, we're willing to let Lorne and I di- deal with the censors directly, <laughs> so the sh- we weren't trying to set new language uh, barriers or not barriers for television. But we definitely were dealing with issues that you would not normally hear at that at that time, some fifty years ago. Um, so I'd have to say, leadership at the networks. People don't often think this way, but I sure do. Uh, people who are the bosses at NBC, in particular. Really let Lorne and I do the show. There was one old guy who sort of always was on the periphery trying to (laughs) seek some way to limit what we could do. The leadership sort of told him uh, that he he did not have to work after uh, 7 o'clock at night, so to speak.
1: (laughs) That must have been the uh, the one where Garrett Morris is doing our top story tonight. I'm <laughs> for the hearing impaired. I'm not, I'm not going to repeat it for anybody who hasn't seen it, but it is funny. It, it, you guys... it was funny. It sure was.
3: <laughs> and it was a great way for Garrett to really get the, the, the attention he deserved because he was fabulous at that.
2: So following on what Damien had asked you in terms of folks who paved the way for you, who are mentors to you, when you look at out and and you look at the media executives and I know you gave a shout out to Jimmy Patero at ESPN. Who do you see as the media executives, the sports executives to keep an eye on? People who could be real game changers and who are rethinking the way that live sports is broadcast and telling the stories that that consumers are eating up.
3: Well, each of the networks specialized at at something and I find the networks that are the most watchable are the ones where the boss is a creative type and not a businessman. And, uh, for example, at, uh, CBS, Sean McManus, his dad was Jim McKay. He was brought up around storytelling. His father may have been the best storyteller in the history of sports on television in the, in the halcyon days of wide world of sports. Um, uh, I think that, uh, The folks at Fox are are terrific. They came along later than the other networks, but they certainly picked up the ball and ran with it when they got their first big football contract and later baseball. And NBC is really well led by Mark Lazarus, and and he has a stable of of producers who he very much backs uh, by making sure they always had the money, Not, not personally in their pocket quite often, but... They had the money to do the shows right. And uh, that wasn't always the case 20, 30 years ago on television, but it is today.
5: You know, we heard um, you know Walt Disney CEO Bob Chapek basically talk about um, the under-35-year-old sports audience, you know, and how sports gambling and sports betting is such a big part of that lifestyle now. And, and you know, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on sports betting, on the legalization they're in, on the growth of that industry, and what it means for, for sports more generally speaking.
3: It's It's here. There's no turning back. Uh, If there was ever going to be a time to have turned backwards and away from it, it was probably 20 years ago. And uh, it's there. I mean, it's a necessary. I'll use the word that's probably not appropriate. It's a necessary evil. I mean, gambling has uh, come out of the closet over the last 30 years. And uh, the networks all ultimately uh, decided that they needed to cover it, too. It did not happen on my watch. Uh, what is, what is that, no, 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 no! I'm not going to go all uh,
5: magnanimous. Yeah, that. right, right. Well,
2: but, but but what,
3: it's are, what the, the public? Wa- it's what the public wanted, not what I wanted, but it was what the public wanted.
2: What do you think are some of the unintended consequences of the growth of sports gambling? Then, from a media executive's perspective,
3: well, it certainly means that there's a whole new audience that's glued to it for. <laughs> reasons that uh, forever, uh, it wasn't going to happen, but it, but it does happen now, and the uh, networks finally jumped on board. I, I mean, I, to me, it would have been inconceivable 40 years ago that that could have happened, but it has happened, and it's a reality.
1: Well, I remember, you, yeah, I, I'm, I'm the degenerate, because I remember <laughs> as a kid, when I had the old stratomatic football, and you, you, I loved that thing. And I would play with my my buddies, and it's like you know, he. I had the Detroit Lions, and he would <laughs> have the, the Minnesota Vikings, and it would just go on and. On. It's been around forever, like you said, gambling. It, it, maybe just not to the access of where it is now, but. You uh,
3: weren't any money at it back then though you probably had a dollar a week allowance oh yeah
1: i mean you know if i lost a quarter i'm like man this is i can't get my now or there's nothing yeah (laughs) but it's but that's the thing about gambling and i and i listen i i i talk about it all the time about gambling and yeah i have fun with it but and i bring this up many times bet responsibly folks because you know if you get carried away with it uh, it, things can go crazy, and and you are bringing it up about, again, it's like, okay, it's there, just don't be stupid. That's exactly correct. I, I
3: spent a lot of time this weekend up in the casinos in Connecticut because there were a series of different sporting events going on up there. I was just amazed. I hadn't been in either of those two casinos. They're like uh, probably castles at Versailles. <laughs> <laughs> they really are. Decades. They are castles.
1: Build on our money.
3: <laughs> but so many people willingly give away. I always wonder what they say when they go home and say to the wife, well, I don't really have quite the money for you to build the icebox this week.
5: So I got another question for you, if you, if you don't mind my asking. I mean, you know, I remember, um, I mean, obviously, you know, Saturday night's main event, you know, wrestling, you know, Vince McMahon, you know, I mean, you're up in Connecticut, you know, you know, the WWF used to be headquartered up there, you know, obviously, you know, ESPN's up there, all that good stuff, you know, I mean, do you still see a lot of activity going on in Connecticut as it relates to sports? I mean, are there still, is it still an area where, you know, people go to, to sort of cut their teeth in the business?
3: I wish there was an easy answer to that, but it basically boils down to the fact that many of those people chose to live here and Connecticut, Uh, made it easy for them to uh, get some tax breaks to build these enormous production facilities like ESPN has and like Vince has, uh, which allow them to do a post-production job the likes of uh, the kind of thing you only used to see from, say, an Olympics. Uh, They do it almost every night now because they have these castles of, uh, of sports production located there and, and they got favorable tax breaks to build those buildings years and years ago and they took good advantage of it and we're the beneficiaries because storytelling is so much better done today on a consistent basis than it was years ago because so many more people are involved
2: so you had mentioned that baseball is seeing a decline in popularity um perhaps the well, you have a
3: commissioner who talks about the championship is a race to win the uh, the piece of metal. I mean, here's a sport that competes for months and months and months and months, you know, to be the best, to win that big trophy. And he's referring to it as a, a hunk
1: piece of metal. metal. Yeah. Yeah.
3: That never would have come out of the mouth of somebody who loved baseball the way Bud did. This guy obviously doesn't.
2: Lawyer well, first, perhaps. What does baseball need to do? to fix the game. I mean, they've passed a sweeping set of rule changes uh, to quicken the
3: pace. I'm so encouraged by that. It was a language that I and several other people were preaching, uh, I don't know, five or six decades ago that they had to do things. I've not seen as much as I used to, but I used to see a lot of minor league baseball. And when they started going with that pitch clock, I remember sitting in a ballpark in Des Moines at the time, the team was owned by a friend of mine. And they'd get all in that, and they'd, they'd use that as a way to you know, boo the, the guy who was up at bat or the pitcher. And they got into it even more. It was a lost opportunity by baseball to speed up the game. Right. I mean, there's no reason for a baseball game to last five hours.
1: None. Right. Well, before we let you go, I, yeah, you just need Bob Gibson in there because if someone knocked a home run, the next batter, he would just whiz it by his head and <laughs> give him some gin music, and that helped to speed up the game. It, well,
3: it's, he and Drysdale <laughs> uh, had good control, yeah, and so people weren't getting maimed. But, I mean, a, a, le- a younger, lesser experienced player, I'm not sure I would. Want him buzzing me as close as some guys get
1: buzzed. Today. <laughs> <laughs> I, but your book from Saturday night to Sunday night. What is the number one thing you want people to take away from your book? Which I'm going to go buy, by the way, uh, as soon as we're done with the show. Down at uh, well, I won't. I won't mention the book store that I'm going to mention, but I'm well, going to buy this tomorrow. book.
3: It's on, it's on bookshelves everywhere tomorrow.
1: Yeah yeah it's i i want i what is that number one thing you're saying hey take this away from my book
3: well number one a lifetime love affair with sports um is what drove me as a young man into being a production system it's about the lowest form of life as a tv worker um I was living in France as a foreign exchange student, and I showed up at the 24 Hours of Le Mans, got hired as a gopher. And one of the things I wanted to show young people in reading that book: that if you show a steadfast interest in something, and you really show these folks in these networks today that you're really willing to work hard at the lowest possible levels, learn the craft, and work yourself up in that craft. it'll all continue to get better. Uh, but you got to show an appetite. And I point that out in in, in the book. It doesn't just drop in your lap. You've got to show an appetite and you have to show up. You have to be around these events and look for work. In many cases, it's menial, but once they see you, and I remember as a producer, I was always aware of the young temporary hires we had. And the ones that showed the most initiative who every time you turned around were there, um, Those people are the ones who amounted to something. And it it definitely worked for me, and it still works today.
1: That's very true. I I remember in the old USFL, and I was an intern uh, at a radio station in Detroit, and they said, hey, uh, we need somebody to hold the parabolic mic on the sidelines and here I am all of a sudden at the Silverdome holding the parabolic mic as the sweep is coming at me, at which whoo, <laughs> yeah. a, it sounds like a thunderous herd, man, when the sweep is coming at you with football players. But I, you're exactly right. And that was one of the things that helped me get the appetite to to go on into dabbling in the sports and everything. And you are exactly right. Dick Ebersole, from Saturday night to well, Sunday night.
3: The other thing I really stress in the book, it's about relationships. And it's a further extension of what you and I were just talking about, which is you've got to be around there. You've got to show interest. You've got to be willing to start at the lowest possible level. Get hired to be the guy who runs for coffee. And every time they turn around and you happen to be that guy or that woman, um, they're not idiots. They're they're aware of it. And uh, there are so many people who are full-fledged, producers at NBC Sports Today who exhibited that level of curiosity and interest. And you're a fool as a sports media leader if you're not there always with your eyes open uh, at an event to see who, who is that person who always seems to be there. Um, that changed the world for me, having that awareness. And if you read my book, there's some tips on how to be in that position.
1: You're exactly right. I, I tell my sons, it's like the reason why I, I try to do what I do today is because I was a pest when I was an intern because I was going to be around everybody. I don't know how many times I said, uh, "Hey, sir, would you uh, do you need some more coffee or something like that?" And you know, and it worked. And and I agree with you ten thousand percent. Dick Ebersol, from Saturday night to Sunday night, uh, what a great book, and I can't wait to to read it from cover to cover. Thank you, sir, for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcasts. You can catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports.
2: And I'm on Twitter at Scarlet
5: And I'm Damien Sassauer. I'm on Twitter at D Sassauer.
1: Thanks for joining us. Tune in again next week for the latest on the stories moving big money in the world of sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports and Bloomberg Radio around the world.